The New York Jets are now on the board. Okay, Jet fans, Darrell Revis. Being in New York has been one of the greatest blessings. Zach Smith Avenue, brand that one right now. The New York Jets flag. Welcome to another episode of NFL Draft Preview. Ethan Greenberg joined every week by the Athletics' Dane Brugler. Free agency underway, which is kind of the first domino, or maybe not the first domino, but it's a big domino, let's say, in the pre-draft process because maybe things start to crystallize in about a month or so. It's March 22nd. That means that the draft is just over a month away. We're coming in hot into April. It's 50 degrees in Ohio, Dane said off the air. It's about 50 degrees here in New Jersey, so the warm weather's coming. Where's the beast at, by the way? Where, are we? Uh, are, do you feel confident in where you are? Or you feel like you're ahead of schedule, behind schedule? Give us a little peek behind the curtain here. Uh, until it's out into release it into the wild, I always feel like I'm behind, and there's no <laughs> way I'm going to get it done. Uh, but every year, find a way. Um, but it's uh, this is the point of the season or the process where pro days are happening, and so. I pride my myself or my my guide on having all of the pro day verified pro day information, not just what people are posting on on Twitter, but the verified numbers from teams. So um, you know it's it's important to get all those numbers, and that's kind of where I'm at. You know, gathering all those names, uh, all those numbers, finding out okay, who are some of the combine snubs that tested really well, who have a chance to uh, get drafted. The Jets, you know, they they were involved with some of those guys last year, so. Uh, it's, it's definitely a process and something that, uh, you know, you give me a little bit of, uh, anxiety when you mentioned how close the draft is, but we're going to get there. <laughs> I just want to be clear here. When you said release it into the wild, do you mean the fans like Twitter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the I wild mean, right there. Well, it's, it's one of the craziest, uh, days of, of the year for me is the day it comes out. And the moment I hit send and it's out there. Um, I just, I'm waiting for my phone to blow up from, from agents, from, uh, you know, texts from around the league, from, you know, Twitter reaction from fans. So it's, it's a lot of fun, but you know, I'm also kind of guarded against, uh, you know, what, what people are saying. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's something I'm very, very much looking forward to. You have to enjoy a nice beverage right after you hit send and it gets released into the wild, like that same day. You have to enjoy um, that one. First, first thing I do is take my dog for a walk, just get some fresh okay. air get some, you know, get some exercise and then come back to the computer, deal with uh, whatever's coming at me at that point. So, but yeah, it, it's good to get a, a, just a breather after I hit send on That's that. fair. And, and is this like a, uh, is this like a phone stays at home type of walk? Like you press send, you grab the leash, you just go and you, and you just kind of roam for maybe an extended walk. And then you come back and see who, who blew up your phone about what? That's that's exactly it. Uh, just right. clear my mind. No, just give me a half hour away just to, you know, reset, recalibrate uh, and then dive right back in because, yeah, there's still plenty of work to do before we get to draft weekend. All right. Well, let's talk about this free agency. Uh, the first wave, I'd say. Right. That's pretty much what's what's behind us now. There will obviously be moves that trickle between now and the draft, but the first wave is behind us. The the Jets made a number of moves, I'd say. None that really broke the bank, according to the reports, but, you know, some things do change based off free agency from an evaluation standpoint. So, Dane, where you sit, based on the Jets signings like Lakin Tomlinson, DJ Reed, CJ Uzama, Jordan Whitehead, Tyler Conklin, what is your picture for the Jets draft right now? Like has, what was the picture before free agency? And do you think it changed at all as we record here in, in late March? 
Well, I think the best teams, they always attack free agency so they can go into the draft without a clear need where they have to go reach for a position. And I think that's what we saw the Jets do uh, during that first wave of free agency where they address corner, they address safety, they address tight end, uh, they address the, that offensive line, they find that right guard they've been looking for. Um, and that way they go into the draft and saying, OK, we don't have to go uh, offensive line early. We don't have to go corner uh, they've positioned themselves well based on these free agent signings that it really keeps the board open. And, you know, especially in the first round with two picks in the top 10, who falls to you at those two picks? And they're not you know, handcuffed to a certain position where they have to address it or they're going to end up uh, leaving a hole on their roster going into the summer and into training camp. So uh, from the Jets perspective, I, I think they did uh, you know, exactly what, you know, kind of from, from a fan's perspective, you hope they would do address several of these needs. And now you can really attack the draft and uh, go based off of your board. And you're not uh, reaching, you're not overvaluing certain positions. And so, uh, you know, I th- we've talked so much about uh, tight end. And, okay, well, they they signed two tight ends, two guys that are maybe not elite Pro Bowl types, but guys that are functional starters, can help you in the passing game, can help you as blockers. Uh, they address the secondary with two guys uh, back there who are, are plug-and-play guys. And, and then a, a critical piece on the offensive line uh, who, you know, you uh, expect to step in and really fortify things up for you for you up front. And so those are big pieces uh, for this franchise. And as we go look forward to the draft, it, it really gives them a lot of options. You know, I was just thinking about this. CJ Uzama, Tyler Conklin, we'll talk about this tight end group in this year, but Conklin and Uzama, both senior bowl guys, both fifth round picks. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, like, what do you remember about them from college when you were studying them coming to the pros? Because now they're on their second contracts and supposedly going to be pretty big pieces to this Jets offense. Yeah, I mean, both athletic guys. I remember Conklin, I believe, was a basketball player. Uh, you know, that was kind of his uh, his pedigree. And you saw that on the football field with the body control, the balance, uh, his ability to win body position down the field. So, you know, Tyler Conklin, I, I think that, you know, we've seen that. Uh, up to this point of his NFL career. And then uh, CJ Ozama, uh, a, a guy that could stretch the seam, a guy that you know could be a not just a, a uh, reliable pass catcher, but a guy that could be a little dynamic down the field and someone that the defenses have to account for. So both these guys coming out of the college level, going to the senior bowl, uh, and I think they're two prime examples why you don't have to draft a tight end in the top 100 picks. You can wait to day three and get a quality player. And that's that's absolutely the case this year where the sweet spot of this tight end uh, draft, the, the draft class is going to be third, fourth, fifth round. You're going to find excellent value in those in those uh, rounds. And even though they did make these additions at tight end, there's a good chance we could still see the Jets draft a tight end. And uh, I think that these two guys are examples that even if they wait till the fourth or fifth round, you can still get a pretty good player. That's a great point. We're going to talk about these guys that could be options for the Jets later on in this episode, but let's continue talking about free agency and the picture changing with free agency. So when we did your mock draft a couple weeks ago for NFL draft preview, you had sauce Gardner at four, right? And I'm just with the DJ Reed acquisition. Do you think that that changes at all? Or you think that that's still very much in play with sauce Gardner at four and the, the, caveat to all this is with the signing at safety and Jordan Whitehead and the re-signing of LaMarcus Joyner 
I know you have not believed that Kyle Hamilton would be a Jet at four, but between Sauce and Kyle Hamilton, where do you think the Jets would go between those two right now? Honestly, I I think it really depends on less on who's on the roster and more depends on how Joe Douglas and his staff, how they view these players. Because if you're drafting with the fourth overall pick, you need to draft one of the top four players in the draft, according to your board. Forget uh, position need, forget everything else. Just rank the top four players in this draft, and you're going to come away with one of those guys. And if that ends up being a pass rusher, if that ends up being a corner, if that ends up being a safety, then so be it. But I think it's important when you're drafting that early to not necessarily think about, okay, what's best for 2022 this season? What's best for the current makeup of this roster? It's more important to think about the long term, more important to get the best player available at that point. Um, and and that, that'll, that strategy will change maybe uh, when you get later in the first round, maybe even at 10, that strategy changes a little bit. But I think it's very important with that with the top four pick that make sure you're getting one of the top players in this draft. So if that ends up being Sauce Gardner, then I then so be it. DJ Reese should not change your thinking on that because you know corner is one of those positions where uh, you know you're playing with three, four corners out there uh, at a time. I know they addressed the position quite a bit last year. It's something that uh, you know they they feel like they're in good shape there right now. But if you have a chance to get an impact guy like Sauce Gardner, who you believe is one of the top four players in this draft. Uh, it could be a future pro bowler, then by all means, I think you should do it. Now, Kyle Hamilton, same type of thing. Uh, there's obviously the the value of, of a safety that early that factors into the discussion. But uh, I think it just comes down to, uh, again, who are the top four players in this draft that are going to make an impact for your team and just co- making sure you're coming away with one of those guys. All right, the other positions that I feel like one position I don't feel like has been discussed a ton in terms of the Jets has been linebacker. They have mm-hmm. C.J. Mosley. They have Quincy Williams. They have a number of other players like Jamie Sherwood and Hamza Nasraldeen, and the Jets hope that they can develop into into good players for their team. Sherwood's coming off the Achilles injury. Nasraldeen, I believe Robert Sala said, was adding some weight, so which should not surprise anybody, but that's a position not a lot of people have talked about with the Jets. Now, I, we've discussed Devin Lloyd being a good schematic fit for the Jets. Long-limbed, former safety, similar to Sherwood and Nasral Dean in college. So Devin Lloyd, potential top 10 pick. How do you see, well, first of all, would you be surprised if the Jets went in that direction? And second of all, like I know this, I know that you're not supposed to draft for need, but do you think that maybe free agency could have shifted at all the way that the Jets potentially view Lloyd in terms of a top 10 pick? No, I mean, I, I think that uh, with Lloyd, you know, he's, you can make an argument. He's one of the 10 best players in this draft. Um, and so I think that it would make sense for him to be in a discussion there at number 10, a guy that uh, is explosive. Uh, he can uh, help you in coverage. He can help you downhill as a blitzer. He, uh, he could do everything you want for a linebacker. Uh, didn't blow up the combine. Uh, like some people thought he might, but he's still an explosive player that is uh, going to step in from day one and be a, a three-down player for you. It doesn't have to come off the field. So there's value in that, certainly. Um, and, and so at number 10, there, there's a there's a scenario out there where I, I think that he might be the best fit for the Jets at that point. Um, now, do I think that uh, that's necessarily maybe the ideal scenario? Maybe not, but I still think that he is uh, that caliber of player where he belongs in that discussion as a, as a possible top 10 guy. Also another two positions that have been commonly mocked to the jets 
before free agency, edge, wide receiver, based on what's transpired so far, feels like those are pretty much in play wherever in the draft, as early as the first round, as late as undrafted free agency. So I don't really want to talk about that. The one position I do want to focus on before I get your best case scenario in the first two rounds is, is a very unique one. I think it's really a split one on Twitter right now. It's offensive line, particularly mm-hmm. offensive tackle, with Icky Aquanu and Evan Neal, both popular picks to the Jets at number four if they were on the board in those specific mock drafts. Now that the Jets have signed Lakin Tomlinson, where do you stand on potentially either one of those guys, meaning Aquanu, Neal, even Trevor Penning if it were pick 10, or Charles Cross or whomever it is, where do you stand on them as being potential Jets, knowing that the Jets right now, Robert Sala has said that Mekhi Becton and George Fant competition at left tackle, also knowing that George Fant is in the final year of his contract, despite the fact he doesn't have a lot of tread on the tire, and it feels after last season he's a scheme fit and an ascending player for the Jets. Yeah, yeah, I think the offensive line is a really interesting um, uh, discussion point here when it comes to the draft because it's a position they've gone the last two years, um, and it's a position that you know we could see them uh, realistically uh, address at four ten because uh, you look at the tackle situation with Mackay Becton. We just it's a little unsettled. Uh, we just don't know what that's going to look like the next uh, few years of his rookie contract. Will he lock down that left tackle job and be the high upside guy that we think he is uh or at least that he's capable of it's it you know hopefully he that's how it turns out but it's that's no guarantee that it will so uh it's a little unsettled and because of that uh there's there's absolutely a chance we could see one of those top offensive linemen off the board at number four they give you position flex tackle or guard uh they can uh you know you, you bring all those guys to camp let the best man win and i know you know the the, the doubters would say that, you know, you don't need to, you know, you have the offensive line set right now with your two tackles, your two guards. Um, but, you know, it's offensive line's a position where you just never have enough depth and you don't know how the future of that position, uh, that unit is going to look. So if you have a chance to draft a guy you're very high on, who has a high grade from you, it might be tough to pass him up at that point if Evan Neal or Ikea Kwanu are there at number four. So it, it's a really tough uh, discussion that I think, you know, we have our opinions on the outside. But you know that the coaches and Joe Douglas and that you know the front office, they've got their own opinion on what the state of that offensive line is. And it, there might be some disconnect there. Uh, so there's a little bit of unknown. Um, obviously, what happens on draft weekend will give us a little bit of a tell of how the what kind of shape they see that offensive line right now. So let's just wrap up this free agency talk with I, I, I'm just kind of kind of hand over the floor to you. I'm curious what you view as possible scenarios overall at four and 10 by position or specifically by player. And I want you to tell us in your opinion, what is the best case scenario for the jets at pick number four and pick number 10? Yeah. And I I think that there's no like obvious answer here in my opinion where, okay, it's clearly this, this, and this, I I think that you can make a case for several of these different directions, uh, especially at number four, uh, they could go defensive line with Trevon Walker. I think, you know, the uh, out of Georgia, toolsy player who has high upside. Um, you know, we mentioned Sauce Gardner. Uh, you know, I, the corner position is in much better shape now than it was a couple of years ago. But still, if you have a chance to add a guy like Sauce Gardner who you feel could be a future pro bowler, you absolutely do it. So I think that that's certainly a case for that. We just talked about offensive line there at number four. 
Um, is for a place where you talk about these receivers. Uh, I, I, in my opinion, that's a little early. I think that you feel good about receivers being there at 10 if you really want to go that direction in the first round. So I, I think right now where we are, um, I could make a case for defensive line, could make a case uh, for, for pass rusher, certainly. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, I, offensive line or Sauce Gardner, I think I'm leaning, I'm, I think I'm leaning Gardner at this point. Just again, I'm getting a chance to fortify the back end of my defense, a guy that is going to compete for snaps right away and you feel is going to make Pro Bowls. Um, and so I feel good about my offensive line is going to play itself out. Um, you know, I at pass rusher, I, I think that, you know, we could go Trevon Walker. We could go Kayvon Thibodeau, maybe even talk about Jermaine Johnson at that point. If, if you're worried, he's not going to make it to you at 10. Um, so I, I feel good about, uh, you know, getting someone on defense, getting an impact player. Right now, I think I'd lean Gardner at that point over over a pass rusher. And then at number 10, this is where, okay, do one of those pass rushers fall to you? Uh, does Jermaine Johnson there? If Jermaine Johnson's there, I think that's too good to pass up. And I think I'm going Sauce Gardner, Jermaine Johnson, getting a guy that's going to help you get after the quarterback, then a guy that's going to pick off the quarterback. But I think the one scenario that kind of disrupts that is uh, getting a wide receiver, a key guy that's going to help your, your sophomore quarterback. Uh, it's going to help your offense go. And whether that's Garrett Wilson, who I believe is the top receiver in this draft, or say that's, uh, you know, Drake London, who brings size, who brings uh, maybe, you know, fits your identity a little bit more. I can understand that as well. So, I, again, I this is my way of saying there's so many different directions they could go. Uh, I, I'm not sure there is a one exact way they, they you know, should be going. I, I think there are several. When you talk about ideal scenarios, I think there are several different options you could look at. All right. One last question about this. At four, just I'm curious your reasoning behind, let's say, Sauce Gardner over Kyle Hamilton. And let's say, you know, we've seen some freaky stuff happen during the draft. Let's say somehow, some way, Kyle Hamilton's there at number 10. What do you think about the, like, is that almost too good to be true? And you're running that card up, or that also depends if Jermaine Johnson is there? Yeah, it depends on who is there. Um, and uh, because if uh, Jermaine Johnson's there or the receiver that they want is there, uh, that might be the pick um, instead. But Kyle Hamilton, it, you know, we, we've said it before, he might be the best talent in this draft, uh, just overall talent. And not just physically with what he can do for a guy that's 6'4", 220, but his his uh, intelligence, the way he sees the field, uh, his read-react ability. I mean, he is as instinctive as it gets for a player that can play single high, that can walk down in the box. I mean, he can just do everything. So at that point, you're looking at a guy that's going to help your defense in a big way if you believe that he's worth the value at, their, at that point, if he fits your defense and your scheme. So that that's an important part of this. But with Gardner, I just think the value of the cornerback position is so high and, you know, what it means uh, it's for a guy that you put out there that can, you know, hopefully take away one side of the field. There's just a lot of value with that. So that's why I would lean Gardner in that scenario. All right, that was a great synopsis right there. Let's shift our focus now to the tight end position at the NFL draft, the position as a whole. Obviously, this conversation was a lot different in January when we were in Mobile, Alabama. We're talking about guys like Trey McBride, Jeremy Ruckert, potentially as future Jets as early as at that point, potentially the second round. And then you said, you know what? I'm not really comfortable taking any guys in the second round. So then in this case for the third round, but after the signing of CJ Uzama, the signing of Tyler Conklin, I would imagine that you would believe it doesn't seem as likely that the Jets are probably going to go tight end in the first two days of the draft. Is that right? I think that's fair uh, because, and again, like we touched on earlier, 
they're, you know, these two guys both being day three picks are prime examples that you don't have to go that direction that they're, and especially in this draft class where there's some you know, good tight ends who will go on day two. Uh, you know, Trey McBride's still a solid player. Greg Dolchik from UCLA, uh, still a good player. Jeremy Ruckert's kind of been out of sight, out of mind because of that foot injury at the senior bowl, still a really good player, but you can afford to wait fourth, fifth round. You're still going to get a good player. And again, especially in this draft class where tight end, uh, not a top heavy position this year, but once we get into the third, fourth, fifth round, it is one of the deepest positions in this draft. So how do you rank the top three tight ends, let's say right now on your board? And where do you think that they'll go in terms of round? Uh, it would be McBride, Dolchik, and Ruckert. Um, uh, McBride uh, being a guy that is does not have one elite trait, but he's just good across the board as an inline blocker, as a guy that uh, is not going to drop the football, uh, very strong at contact, uh, can run routes, uh, can get open, uh, give you enough space for the quarterback. So McBride's just an all-around good player and, and someone that's going to play in the league for a long time. Dolchik has a little more explosiveness to him, uh, a little more – after the catch ability, so you feel like a guy that's going to help you put points on the board. Um, as a blocker, leaves a little to be desired. He, he's more of a move tight end, uh, you know, that F tight end. And so a different, a uh, little bit different type of tight end. And then with Jeremy Rucker, the same type of thing with, uh, with McBride, a, a guy that has a lot of ability, just maybe not one thing that you look at and say, okay, that's going to separate him from other tight ends. Just a really solid player who has yet to play his best football, but he's a solid blocker. Uh, he's a very good pass catcher uh, when he's targeted. So uh, and with the foot injury, you might be getting a little bit of discount uh, with Ruckert, but all three of these players should be off the board somewhere on the back end of day two. So let's just, let's talk about this tight end group. Rather, let's focus on day three because that's more seemingly where the Jets could add a tight end. Figuring that they just, Sign two guys. So if the Jets want to go in that direction on day three, we've talked about Jake Ferguson before. I know you like him as a as a reliable player, but who are some other guys that should be in that mix as well for the Jets? Uh, one guy that's really caught my eye throughout the process is Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State. Um, a, a big guy, 6'5", 253 pounds, uh, ran a 4'6", 3 uh, at the Combine, which is an outstanding time for a guy that size. 7.05 in a three-cone is, is terrific. Uh, did not have a ton of production, uh, receiving production in, in college. Just wasn't targeted all that much. Uh, but a guy that, uh, you know, had five touchdowns over his career. Uh, and, you know, when he was targeted, you know, it, it, it's something that uh, it, it, good things usually happened. And so, uh, again, you look at the receiving production and it's nothing that's going to blow you away. He never reached 360 yards in a season. Um, he never, he got past 65 yards in a game once in his career, 43 career games. So, uh, not, doesn't have the high end production, but he's a big, big athlete uh, who can move and he can block. And so, uh, there are some, I think, instinctive issues there with his route running in terms of just getting open. But natural body control, he cleanly catches the football um, as a blocker, strong-minded, competitive, um, uh, assignment sound. So, you know, a, a guy that's not going to blow you away when you just look at what he did at San Diego State on paper, but a detailed uh, blocker, a natural ball skills, toughness, I think he brings versatility. He's going to come in and be that immediate backup wide tight end, and then maybe he ascends to being more uh, later on in his rookie contract. 
Where do you stand on someone that we have not discussed who is at the Senior Bowl and Isaiah Likely? Yeah, a really athletic player um, who is, uh, you know, likely uh, to go somewhere in that late late day two, early day three. Uh, he's more of that, again, that move tight end, that F tight end. Six, four and a half, 245 pounds. Uh, he had almost 1,000 yards receiving this past year. Uh, he's a threat at all three levels. Uh, so he can take a screen and uh, be a threat after the catch. He can work the middle of the field. He can work the seam, track the ball over his shoulder. So uh, a productive catch and run target, uh, big plays all over his tape. I think he had five catches of at least 55 yards this year. So, uh, you know, usually you don't, you're not getting that from a tight end. But with, with likely fluid adjustments on the football, uh, he'll give effort as a blocker. But that's just he doesn't have the frame for that where he's going to routinely snap in, snap out, give you movement in the run game. That's not necessarily his game. But uh, he, he's just a, a productive player uh, through the air. Playmaking potential, uh, a loose athlete, uh, and a guy that uh, can come in and compete for snaps as that F tight end. All right, I'm going to wrap up the tight end talk with give me your best blocker in this draft class. And if your best blocker, let's say you're going to say Jeremy Ruckert, let's just say your best blocker on day three, somebody who really can handle himself in the run game because if the Jets were to draft a tight end, wouldn't be surprised if his prowess were in the run game considering what they want to do up front. Um, I, I think that Kate Otten uh, from Washington um, it deserves a little more attention. Um, if he were healthy, I mean, he got hurt late in the season. Um, it was a left ankle injury. First time he's ever been hurt in his life. Um, and it, it, that knocks him out of oh, the senior bowl, uh, sidelines him for the combine. Um, if not for that injury, we'd be talking a lot more about Kate Otten. Uh, he, he could be one of the top three tight ends. He is my fourth tight end in this class and still a guy that has a chance to go top 100. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that is 6'5", 250 pounds. He takes his blocking responsibilities very, very seriously. Um, and, and, you know, he has uh, that inline competitiveness where he can latch and drive. Um, he, he can hold himself at the point of attack, uh, resets himself on the move so he can sustain his blocks. Uh, and then he also has the instinct. So uh, both in the run game and the passing game, he knows what angles uh, that he needs to hit. He knows his landmarks. So as a blocker, I think Kate Otten is uh, an ascending player. Then as a receiver, I could say the same thing. Uh, you know, he is uh, a good route runner. Check that box. Uh, a good catch point finisher. Check that box. Um, uh, I think there, there's nuance to what he's doing out there. So Kate Otten um, is, is going to be a terrific value for whoever drafts him. And it's a shame we haven't been able to see him yet throughout this process. That's a perfect way to put a bow on this episode of NFL Draft Preview. Dane, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Ethan.